So is the more normal approach to preparing for the end of life is to is to acknowledge that we are stewards of this life, right? And I think when we see this, the prevalence of uh, physician-assisted suicide, sometimes people are using the euphemism physician aid in dying, um, that that is people trying to take an inappropriate control over the, the span of their life. To the uh, Bishop and Vickers. I'm Bishop Tom Bailey from the Diocese of Spokane here in Eastern Washington. And joining me today, we have Father Pat Kirst, the Vicar for Priests and the pastor of St. Thomas More Parish. Father Kirst, please identify yourself. This is uh, me, Father Pat Kirst, sitting on the south uh, west side of the table. Yeah. Father Darren Connell, Vicar General and Rector of Our Lady of Lords Cathedral. Good day, everyone. Nice to have you with us. <laughs> That's Thanks enough. for coming. Thank you had. very much. <laughs> Father Me is uh, busy with resting. Uh, resting. No, <laughs> Father Me is uh, dealing with matters of uh, state. State. And joining though is our special guest, Father Kyle Ratriste. Father, will you introduce yourself, please? Hello. It's good to be here. Right. Father is the parochial vicar at uh, Our Lady of Lords Cathedral after serving two years in the parishes of Walla Walla. Father was ordained along with David Cruz in 2015, and uh, has completed a master's degree. Is in bioethics. That's right, yes. bioethics. And he serves uh, as a consultant. Or, um, um, he's the bishop's uh, delegate to uh, representative to uh, Catholic healthcare. But today our topic is is. And uh, he's now a member of the diocesan curia. Yes, as vocation director, right? Uh, vocation director. He climbed and clawed for that position. No, no, he did <laughs> not. <laughs> I think that's another episode. That's another. Oh, I like that. Jeez. <laughs> this will be the bishop with one vicar left and friends. <laughs> no, we're actually dealing with the serious topic of um, uh, end of life issues, and in all of our parishes, um, people in dealing with someone who may be terminally ill or a sick or someone aged. And they often uh, seek guidance from uh, their pastors or priests. But we live in a time and culture, and especially as we will approach the month of October, which is known in the United States as Respect Life Month, where the church articulates once again its consistent ethic of life, the dignity and sanctity of the human person from conception till natural death and all in between. And so to help us uh, with some of these issues, um, we've asked Father Atrista to come and to join us. Um, and maybe, Father... Uh, Kind of your degree that you uh, you received, and and how so far in in your completion and in your priestly ministry, this degree has helped you in some of these issues of end of life. Okay, thank you, Bishop, and uh, and just kind of a bit of my educational background. Uh, before I even entered seminary, I was studying on the pre med track at Gonzaga University for the first two years, and was going through a, a my major was actually in biochemistry. When I entered seminary, continued that on and got my degree in philosophy, and. During my undergraduate years, I had an interest in bioethics and the intersection of, of faith and reason and um, our Catholic moral theology and how that affects medicine. And I really didn't think I was able to, um, I would be able to carry on with it uh, in priestly ministry, but eventually an opportunity presented itself where I was able to go to the University of Mary out in Bismarck, North Dakota to get this bioethics degree. And I'd say it was... I think I had a fairly good bioethical education already through my time through Gonzaga University in theology at Catholic University of America. 
Uh, but this really just broadened my horizon, I would say, in terms of the, the scope of bioethical questions. Um, just giving me a greater confidence in being able to be that resource for our pastors and for our lady. There was an issue uh, in, in the state of Washington um, maybe about a month ago when there was a man in the, within the Seattle Archdiocese who, um, on a number of moral issues, um, probably the one that made the press the most was that he was um, allegedly blessed by uh, a priest, and then he promptly, uh, or at some point soon, um, injected himself with a Kahlua cocktail of a lethal, a lethal dose, which led to his, his death, essentially um, euthanizing himself. Um, what is the church uh, in terminal illness? What are the normal procedures that, uh, or process or way that you guide, uh, we should guide our faithful? Uh, Father? Oh, yes. So is the more normal approach to preparing for the end of life is to is to acknowledge that we are stewards of this life, right? And I think when we see this, the prevalence of uh, physician-assisted suicide, sometimes people are using the euphemism physician aid in dying, um, that that is people trying to take an inappropriate control over the, the span of their life, right? And for us as a church, we are to support these people. The big buzzword is accompaniment, but truly to accompany them with this <laughs> Uh, sorry, Bishop. We want that stri <laughs> stricken from the record. He likes to walk with. He oh, likes to walk with. No, robust journey dialogue. Around the table. Robust yeah. walking. Um, place at the table, farm table. But, but <laughs> regardless of the language we use, the idea is that we are to minister to these people and be with them courageously in the midst of their suffering, right? Oftentimes, physician-assisted suicide or euthanasia, it's really, it is purported to be merciful because it eliminates suffering, but it does so by eliminating the sufferer, this is the, by eliminating the person, rather than raising that person up um, out of love. Either Father Kirst or Father Connell, in your uh, many years uh, as, as pastor in, in several parishes, as both, both you know, priestly ministry and also now as the pastor, uh, do you find it's in a given year um, conversations with parishioners who might be themselves either determining hoping to self-determine their future or people that they love? Uh, Father Kirst? I don't think I've had too many critical conversations along those lines through the years. You like that phrase? I did, critical conversations. did like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, there is that occasional time when somebody comes in and wants a little bit of guidance as they're approaching the end of their life and some significant medical issues. And, and, but, uh, and again, as uh, Father Kyle Rajwisa could speak much more eloquently about, there are some moral guidelines to help with all of that that we can present to people more often as people are getting to that stage and what's really inspiring is is when they want assistance in preparing for their funeral uh, they want to live well and die well and and be sent off to heaven well and so that's those are very uplifting conversations people of faith what's what's saddening and we can't take any claim on the people who really have never had the faith we share but when people have stepped away from practice of their faith and they get toward the end of their life and and faith is so important as a grounding as we're in that stage of life as it is throughout our life and when people have stepped away from that it, it's just very sad on and where people are groundless and just drifting and and not asking the right questions and and we only find about find out about that after the fact you know they mm -hmm. died and oh it was such a traumatic last six months for daddy he was so upset and he, he was so afraid of, of death and mm -hmm. 
and the dying process and uh, and then but there's something in them that makes them come to the church then for a funeral which again is getting less and less common but uh but, uh, yeah, yeah, Father Connell. <clears throat> yeah, he, uh, Father Curse was mentioning planning for funeral, but I, I just would circle back and take <laughs> take uh, planning uh, as it applies to end of life issues and and Father Ratuisa's expertise. Um, I, I think things are medically getting more and more complicated, particularly around issues of nutrition and hydration when when a person is dying and when to when is it okay to uh, you know remove nutrition and hydration if it is okay and I. Uh, so I'm going to reveal something uh, fairly uh, personal right now. Maybe we should go to break. No, that's not time. <laughs> no. no uh, what I, I, my counsel to people is, um, I don't really like those uh, forms that the doctors make you fill out about nutrition, hydration, extraordinary means, and all that. My what 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 I've done is I've simply designated someone uh, to make those decisions for me. And I, frankly, I've asked Father Ratuiste to do it because I. Trust his judgment. I've seen him work in the parish with people who are, who are dying, and it's not black and white. Uh, it's not whether you, and I don't know, Father. Maybe you could speak that briefly sure. about, particularly the issue of nutrition and hydration. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you and I have been have worked on that with people in the parish, and I've not always known what to advise them. And you've been great, and because it, I don't know, would you agree that it's these issues are not black and white? That's right. I was I'd agree with that. And just to clarify, was is it Father Me who brings in the random Latin terms and all that? Yes, you know, yeah, most of right. are made oh, okay. up. Right. Oh, okay, well, <laughs> yeah. this this is a real one um, that comes from the tradition of the Ars Moriendi, of the art of dying, um, and especially during the um, uh, the mid- Middle Ages and the period of the Scholastics, there was a sense of you know the art of dying and being able to provide that pretty uh, stable and solid counsel on how to prepare for death spiritually um, when the um, medical realm surrounded us a bit simpler. Uh, but now it, it seems like we do need that, a new contemporary ars moriendi, as it were, especially as we address these issues of advanced care planning, as Father Connell is uh, referring to. And In a disparaging to, way, might add. Um, no. No, no. And I think, <laughs> I think just to clarify, because this is a... Um, a big push we see in you know, in secular bioethics, and I think even in Catholic bioethics, to uh, to give people the patient the ability to express how they want their care to be directed when they are no longer um, competent or able to express that wish. We live in a society, a Western society, that really values autonomy. Um, so that's why this emphasis on what does the patient want, what are the wishes of the patient. That's why we have that emphasis, and so. As faithful Catholics, we have the opportunity to, uh, in a sense, make sure that our own Catholic values are respected using these documents. Um, I just want to comment two things quickly, and Bishop, if you want to follow up, get some more precision on this. Uh, Father Connell referred to uh, these documents, which could be called advanced care documents. There are two basic categories. One is an advanced directive, a medical advanced directive, and Essentially, those, that's when the patient provides instructions. And if this is the situation, then, then do this. Um, and so it comes into play when the patient can't speak for him or herself. And then also Father Connell referred to what's called a durable power of attorney for healthcare. And that's when you essentially empower someone who, is, who will be your proxy to speak on your behalf and make those medical decisions. Um, so what are your thoughts about those? I mean, right. so what I'm saying is I like the durable power of attorney. I, yeah. I don't like advanced directives for myself. Sure. I'm not going to impose I, that I on think, others. Right. And I think my, um, um, my preference is, um, is to rely on the um, durable power of attorney of healthcare. I think at minimum, 
you, sh you should have that. Because ultimately, mm -hmm. you, could, you could have an advanced directive, but that still needs interpretation. And the tricky thing about that is that you can't anticipate all the nuances that will take place, right? And but so if you are to have someone who's your durable power of attorney for healthcare, you actually need to talk to this person so that this person knows your values. Um, and in some ways to say, do what the Catholic Church wants may not be enough because we have our different limits. Um, and maybe after the break, we go into some of the moral principles that come into play. Yeah, it would seem that in, I don't understand how people without a faith could actually embrace uh, any type of um, medical ethics because it would seem it would be so much rooted into this present moment and right now sweeping our, our so much of our nation. And in, I believe it's in Montana, I think Oregon, Washington, I don't know where California is, where essentially it's almost, isn't it legalized uh, to, to euthanize them people? And just to put some nuance yeah. on this, so that we, it's, so youth, euthanasia is when someone actively causes your death, mm -hmm. when you, um, and you ask them to do it. Uh, what's legal now is physician-assisted suicide, and, and that is when the, you're given a legal, uh, lethal dose from your a physician to commit suicide. Commit suicide. We're going to take a break, and uh, when we get back, we thank the uh, Del Prado Trailer Park people and Mary Terry Lee for sponsoring this segment. Thank you. <laughs> talking uh, with uh, Father Kyle Atrista. He's joined the uh, vicars, uh, Father... Uh, Kicking and screaming. Yeah, right. Father Connell and Father Kirst. And we are... Speaking, Father Me is resting. Father Me is resting. Um, we're talking about... Uh, Not eternal rest days. No, end of life issues. <laughs> well, you, you have to make it... Yes. you got to clear it up. We'll be without another vicar for the next <laughs> week. Uh, Father Kirst will choose who. Uh, but um, the terms that maybe traditionally used or extraordinary, ordinary, and there are other terms, if maybe, uh, Father, you can uh, kind of update our listening audience of, of what, how they might navigate these when faced with, um, especially not someone maybe terminally ill, but someone who there's been a turn for the worse, and suddenly now families are somewhat in a, uh, in, into a panic, they're emotionally distraught, and yet they're trying to make decisions about someone they love's uh, future. So maybe a little bit, if you can lighten us on some of those terms. Okay, sure. And I think one thing to remember, especially when we enter into this very emotionally charged, high-stress situations of medical decision-making, is for people to, be, to actually ask and clarify what is meant by various terms. Uh, Bishop, you mentioned some terms that have some moral import, extraordinary, ordinary means, and also related that disproportionate, proportionate means. Sometimes we hear people talking about terminal, actively dying, things like that. And people may use these terms with confidence, but they may use them imprecisely. So it's mm -hmm. good to clarify what is what is being expressed. Uh, going back to these... Circling back. Circling back at, about what is the... Um, these terms, ordinary and extraordinary means, proportionate and disproportionate means, it's um, good to remember that this is, a, this is language that we can use to understand the balance the virtuous balance that comes into play in our obligation, our grave obligation, to be stewards of our life, to conserve our life. Um, I think the basic principle is that 
we have received our life as a gift from God, and it is really not our own. Um, and it's not ours to discard of as we wish or to cling to excessively. Uh, and so we, the church uses these terms, and in some ways the secular um, bioethics and secular medical um, community have, have used these terms, sometimes in varying ways, to talk about these me medical decisions. Um, so what do they mean? Essentially, as for Catholics, the obligation, this is the moral principle, the, we are obligated to pursue means of conserving our life that are considered ordinary or disproportionate. But we are not obligated. We can forego means that are um, extraordinary or disproportionate. Right? Um, you could go into more depth there. A deep dive. Deep dive, as it were. Um, I feel like I'm doing a monologue here, so I apologize. Yeah, the ratings may determine your future. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. uh, okay, but then the question is, what, what are ordin what's ordinary, what's extraordinary? And it really com the contemporary way to understand this is looking at the burdens, recognizing that some means of conserving life are so burdensome that they become essentially morally impossible for a person to to conserve their life. I think a, a good way to understand moral impossibility is when, as thinking about Sunday mass attendance, we know they're supposed to go to mass on Sundays, we're obligated to do so, but if it's morally impossible for us to go to mass, there's no obligation. So sim right. And these terms might shift in meaning with mm -hmm. the advancement of medical right. technology, right? So mm -hmm. what's ordinary now mm -hmm. uh, might not have been ordinary 50 years ago, right. 100 years ago. Right. Um, and, you know, as I'm hearing you speak, it reminds me exactly why I asked you to do that for me, be my durable power of attorney for healthcare, because um, I, I just find the whole thing very uh, confusing. And, you know, as a Catholic, you want to do what the right thing is, and we need help. And so, I, again, I just, I just would emphasize again the importance of, of finding someone having those conversations right. about... Right. And I just want to clarify, uh, give some content to the idea of burdens, right? Because in the, in the secular medical community, oftentimes they throw on terms like extraordinary to say that um, it is rare, that there is difficulty involved. Um, and yes, maybe there are things that may involve difficulty in its, in its use, um, but when the we speak, talk about this in a Catholic perspective, we're looking at the burdens that the treatment cause. So these, treatment, these burdens can include uh, great pain, for instance, right? Uh, or ex expense, great expense. You're not obligated to bankrupt yourself. Um, if the means is experimental or exotic or requires great effort, effort that goes beyond the capacity of the patient, yep. then it's morally impossible to be a burden. And then lastly, um, kind of like a psychological fear or horror of it. Um, you're not obligated to like psychologically torture yourself. What about uh, sometimes individuals will say, I do not want to be a burden for my family. And in many times, I also think that that is, uh, okay, it's very difficult for um a family to go through, having lost my own uh, father over a period of time with with cancer, and then my mom uh, uh, only about five years ago, and it was about a two week period of time. But I think in the context of faith, that joining, uh, she joined her suffering with our Lord, we see the different context. But people say, "I don't want to be a burden for my family. Uh, I don't want them to go through this." When in reality, uh, maybe the meaning of suffering has not always been expressed or articulated. I think certainly in, as Christians, uh, Catholics, suffering has a role in sacrifice. But how, how, have, you, how have you seen here in, in uh, secular Washington state when someone uses the term burden? 
are they using it as as you the church has defined it, or is it just we don't want people to go through that? Right. What is your experience? Sure. And I would just say a, a helpful distinction that I picked up actually going through this uh, master's program through the University of Mary, and also um, the first part is actually through the National Catholic Bioethics Center out of Philadelphia, is that to distinguish between a bur the burdens of the treatment, what the treatment causes, versus a quote unquote burdensome life, mm -hmm. right? And I think when people think say, oh, I don't want to be a burden on others, they think about it being have burdensome life. Um, a retort I would have to that is, is to try to emphasize and raise up the fact that, that one of the powers that every human person has, regardless of their ability to actually express themselves, is their ability to engender love out of others, right? For a family care person, to love that, love that family member. You know, uh, the thing that popped into my mind as you were saying that is, uh, yes, we know people said, I don't, I don't want to be a burden to family, but uh, I, I've just witnessed as a priest, and I know you have too, Father mm -hmm. Ratuiste, and I'm not going to say who the person is, but anyone in the cathedral parish will probably know who I'm talking about, a married couple, and uh, over the years, we in this parish watched uh, the wife uh, go downhill uh, while as she struggled with dementia, and uh, her husband every single day brought her to the noon mass, helped her open the book, took her hand, and 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 as she progressively got worse, she would be it's at times loud or, or shout out, and he was just incredibly loving uh, to her and. That witness, uh, now some would say, oh, she's a burden to him. He would never say that. Uh, she was a gift to him. Uh, he loved her and uh, and was happy to care for her and to give her that that uh, comfort as she was nearing the point of, of her own death. She since passed away, and uh, he is, I would say, probably one of the most admired members of our parish, and, and uh, I think you'd agree with that. Yes. yes. Father Kirst, in... Um both in your work, since you uh, have been ordained a priest longer than Father Connell. Um, <laughs> you had to bring that up. Uh, and the, the years have taken their toll. Did um, <laughs> Have you found that, that as kind of this has moved secularly across the West, and I know in other parts of the country, um, that uh, people just no longer feel... Uh, um, the importance of bringing their priests, their clergy involved in this, or is it, you were talking about funerals being fewer and... Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah I can only speak anecdotally, but uh, in in my experience, I think that fewer and fewer people have brought, maybe it's just me, but uh, brought me into their end-of-life issues, uh, into that discussion, uh, into the uh, even matter of, of uh, you know, whether or not they even want to have a funeral, you know, that gets... Mm -hmm. And, and and even getting caught up in that, well, now that it's not a funeral we're going to have, we're going to have a celebration of life. And when we see that so often attached yeah. to a Catholic service, it's it's uh, you know somewhat disheartening. I mean, I'm glad we're celebrating life, but the life we're celebrating is eternal life. And mm -hmm. that's you know principle of applied to all of these things is that this life we have now is a great gift from God, and we, and we cherish it, and we steward it. But it's not the life that we will have for all eternity. Mm -hmm. And so that tempers the the uh, efforts we make to prolong life and it, it may be in our parishes uh in the respect life month we we have to maybe in, in, in a homily in one of those sundays of the month be very clear on uh, not only what the church teaches on these life issues but but why um and uh, i remember when i was teaching uh, seniors in in a segment on moral theology that there was a, a professor, Father uh, Monsignor uh, William Smith from Dunwoody, the seminary. What's and, a Monsignor? Um, there are people in this room who will know, but not you. Um, <laughs> but um, 
It, anyway, Monsignor Smith was talking about, if you looked at the definition, let's say, in the mid-70s for euthanasia, it was said, mercy killing. But by the 80s, it had become death with dignity. And his argument, whether it was euthanasia or abortion, is change the word, the vocabulary, and you'll begin to change the minds. Uh, I, th I would attest to that, uh, that I've seen this. And um, that's why I think, uh, and maybe Father... Uh, uh, as working with Catholic healthcare here in Eastern Washington, it's so important that uh, the, the Catholic hospitals maintain a commitment to the ethical directives. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe just a brief, because we're almost out of time. Um, what, what are the ethical directories, directives that they might hear of? Sure. Um, and so Bishop mentioned that the ethical directives uh, commonly they're called the ERDs, and it's a, it comes from a document from the United States Cat, uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops, giving some some guidelines, some well, directives rather regarding how Catholic healthcare should be done in the U.S. Um, as far as like the kind of directives they would hear. Or well, in other words, uh, those guide our Catholic hospitals. Correct. Or actually, it should do more than guide. Us. So they direct them, yeah. Right. Directed, mm -hmm. and I know that um, there was an issue in a in a Catholic hospital in in uh, Arizona where the the bishop had to intervene because they were not following the directives. Mm -hmm. And uh, it had to do, I believe, on the issue uh, of abortion. That's right. Um, we hope to, as, as a church uh, in our diocese, to continue um, proclaiming the gospel of life, a phrase that St. John Paul II used in one of uh, his letters. Um, but it is, we are, we are up against so much, and yet the church has to proclaim this very directly, very clearly. It's always rooted in compassion. But it would seem that uh, many people don't understand uh, because they're caught up in kind of the emotion of how could you, do you want everybody to suffer? And I don't mm -hmm. think that's, that's a misunderstanding of what, what the church teaches. Okay. We're going uh, to end this segment because you will be hearing more in October about the Respect Life Issues, and hopefully we'll have Dr. Jerry Malanga, a noted ethicist, join us, and a personal friend and maybe a relative of He studied in the, in, the, uh, in the Belgian, Belgian Congo. Congo yeah. yeah, okay. Father, please conclude with the Yeah, prayer. so I, I thought uh, it would be appropriate for a number of reasons uh, to end by praying uh, a prayer written by John Henry Cardinal Newman. And it was his prayer for a happy death and... Uh, I think as you pray along with me, it, you would identify with these words and as we ask God uh, that he would grant us a happy death. O oh, my Lord and Savior, support me in that hour in the strong arms of your sacraments and by the fresh fragrance of your consolations. Let the absolving words be said over me and the holy oil sign and seal me and your own body be my food and your blood my sprinkling. And let my sweet mother Mary breathe on me, and my angel whisper peace to me, and my glorious saints smile upon me, that in them all and through them all I may receive the gift of perseverance and die as I desire to live, in your faith, in your church, in your service, and in your love. Amen. 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 Thank you. <laughs>